Thank you for, uh, thank you so much for coming and joining us. If you have your Bible tonight, I invite you to the book of Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Just let me know, Kelly, if there's any, if I need to do anything different. Um, as we look at Second Timothy, we looked at last night. Um, this is the last. This is why it's so. Uh, it's so weighty. It's so uh, significant to me. It is the last uh, written words we have from the Apostle Paul in his lifetime. Uh, it's not to say that he did not write other letters. Uh, he possibly did uh, during this final imprisonment. Um, you know, these are the last years of his life. He had been under house arrest in Rome, and then he was released because the trial was, uh, was kind of surrendered. The trial was dismissed. Then he went out and he preached for uh, about four more years. And then he got rearrested again, this time under very severe conditions. Uh, the Roman Empire saw him as an enemy of the state. They saw him as a severe threat to uh, the peace of Rome, to the Pax Romana. And so they took Paul and uh, they put him in the maximum security prison of the city of Rome. They brought him all the way back to Rome, put him in this uh, place I'd like to share a little bit later tonight called the Mamertine Prison. Uh, has anybody ever heard of the Mamertine Prison before? Mamertine Prison. Uh, they put him in that. This prison was specifically devised and constructed for maximum security purposes to house so, so it would be impossible for them to escape. And uh, it's there that he spent the remaining months of his life until he was executed, we believe, in somewhere uh, probably the spring or summer of 68 A.D., and so this letter, though, was written before that time. This is the last, the very last thing that he wrote. It has the tone all about it. As you flip throughout the letter, you know some of the well-known, famous words of this letter where he says to Timothy, for instance, in chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. These are last words, no doubt about it. It's the whole tone of the letter from the heart of a dad to a spiritual son. We shared last night, uh, if you can imagine in your life, if you and I knew that we only had one more opportunity to speak to somebody, if I knew that my days were numbered, I'm going to be leaving this world, who would I reach out to and what would I say? That is the exact feeling of this letter. There's not a lot of theology in it. It's not at all about church governance. They don't talk at all about musical style. He doesn't at all talk about the pastor's wardrobe. He doesn't at all talk about things, you know, make sure all things, make sure the bulletin's done. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about any of that stuff to this young pastor. He just shares from the heart about the stuff that matters. I don't know about you tonight. I want to be about the stuff that matters. I want to be about the stuff that matters. Camp meeting helps me in that because we a little bit get away from the busyness of life. And sometimes here at camp, we're able to kind of hear from God about the things that matter. When I go back a week from Monday, I don't want to lose that. Amen. I want to still be into the things that matter from now until Jesus comes or until he takes us. And that's this letter. So I take to heart a lot. That means every word of this letter means something. He, there's no wasted words. You know how we waste words sometimes. We just kind of, you know, say stuff to say stuff. There's no wasted words in this. There's no kind of just whatever Everything he says has a purpose to it with that in mind. To, I, want, I really want to speak to you, Timothy. I really want to share with you my heart. So I'm going to just look at verse 1 tonight. Uh, in, in that light, verse 1 about how he says who he is, 
and where he's coming from in verse 1 really takes on a lot of significance tonight for Paul in his life and his calling, what he wants to share with Timothy. He says this, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then two phrases, two phrases, by the will of God and according to the promise of life, which is in Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle, I'm where I am, I'm who I am, Number one, by the will of God. And secondly, according to the promise of life, which is in Jesus Christ. I'd like to just look at those in particular tonight and what it means for Paul, each of them, and and what he's trying to convey to Timothy, if you can uh, bear with me tonight. First of all, he says, I'm an apostle, I'm who I am, by the will of God. As you know, Paul is really utmost concerned about the will of God in his life, isn't he? I mean, there's nothing, Jesus is utmost to him. Jesus is number one to him. Jesus is everything to him. And Paul is absolutely confident in his life that he is where he is and that he, I want to live like this. He's confident that he is where he is and that he is walking in the will of God in his life. Don't you want to know that? I want to know, like Paul knew, like beyond a doubt, that I am where I am because of the will of God in my life. His confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in Jesus. It's not at all in his own ability. It's not at all in his own charisma. It's not at all in his own preaching ability. It's not at all in his intelligence. And by the way, in Philippians 3, Paul tells us his credentials. He had a lot of things he could have been proud of, his background, his pedigree, the way he was brought up, his education. He had a lot of things. And yet there in Philippians 3, Paul says, I count all things as what? Loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. See, my confidence is not in myself. He says in Galatians, I, 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 for God forbid that I boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. His confidence is not in himself, not in what he can do. His confidence is absolutely in Jesus. And so that's why he can say in verse 1 here, I am an apostle by the will of God. By the, the preposition, and, and, and I apologize, and I, I don't want to cause anybody trauma by bringing up grammar. Does anybody have like PTSD from grammar? Remember prepositions? Prepositions. So the word by there, by, the, by is the prep. This is a prepositional phrase, by the will of God, and by is a preposition. And the preposition by there literally has the idea of through, by, the means of, or arising from. So in other words, for Paul, the will of God is the absolute shaping force of his life. It is through the will of God. It is by the will of God. It is through the will of God. It is arising from the will of God. Everything in his life is by... In other words, he would say to you, I have nothing except God and his will in my life. Nothing. I, I can take no credit... For not one single thing in my life can I take credit. Every single thing in my life is because of Him. I live because of His will, by the will of God. So for for Paul, that's not just something he's saying in his final words of his life. I think you're aware tonight that for Paul, that was kind of a lifestyle for him, wasn't it? For him, it wasn't just kind of a foxhole religion. It wasn't just kind of a deathbed kind of a thing here on death row. He kind of gets right with God. You know that the moment that Paul accepted Jesus as Lord of his life on the Damascus Road, from that point on, he was all in on the will of God, wasn't he? I mean, that was just normal for him. This, this thing that we talk about in, in holiness of I surrender all and 
you know, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I mean, we're used to that. We know that that's, that this holiness thing is not like some special level of being a Christian. We believe tonight this is what it means to be a normal Christian, isn't it, right? Y'all with me tonight? This total surrender and I'm all his and no reservations tonight and, and Jesus, whatever you want in my life, you can have. That, that's normal Christian life. And that's what Paul had. This normal, this was, this was absolutely normal for him to just kind of say, Jesus, whatever. Hey, I'm open. My very favorite account, my, my very favorite instance of that in all of the book of Acts is in Acts 16. If you have your Bible tonight, I invite you to just turn to it just, just for a moment in, in case you're not familiar with it. Because I love, I love this example of how Paul was so just absolutely sensitive to the will of God. I mean, he was just so in tune with Jesus. He was so surrendered that he didn't argue. He just, even on a moment's notice, he could be so sensitive that he could respond in a moment's notice. Just so sensitive to the touch. You know, I want to be like that, don't you? I don't want to argue with God. I don't want God to have to beat me over the head. I don't want to have to God go through drastic measures to get through to me. He had to do that when I was 17, by the way. (laughs) It took dramatic measures for God to get through to my life when I was 17 years old. But I want to live so close to him that, like Paul, I can be this sensitive to him. I love this incident. In Acts 16, Paul is on, um, Paul and, and uh, Silas are on the second missionary journey. And, uh, and, and, and they've come through the churches of Galatia. And I love that about Paul, how he revisits, he's so relational. He revisits the churches that he had established on his first, mission, first missionary journey. And he's coming back through to check on them and to kind of revisit them and strengthen them. And then after they revisited those churches in Galatia, they're saying, what now? And so Paul, you know, he's, he's a missionary. He's, a, he's an evangelist. You know, in his own mind, he says, hey, man, where can we go to have the most impact for the gospel? So they start looking around to the other regions there in Asia, and they say, oh, it would be cool to go to Asia. It would be cool to go to Asia. That's where Ephesus is. Ephesus is the big city, and that would be a great place to go. But look what happens. Verse 6, when they'd gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. Have, Have you ever had God say that to you in your life? You ever had one of those Holy Spirit like speaking to you and say, don't go there? And you know how we are sometimes, maybe we argue that, right? No, no, wait a minute, God, it'll be okay. <laughs> right? You ever done that with God? It'll be all right, God, I'm serious. Oh, we got this. It'll... God, listen, I'll just go, I'll try it, it'll be all right. But not Paul. He doesn't argue it, he doesn't question God. As soon as the Holy Spirit forbids them to go to the left, to Asia, he, they just say, okay. So they say, well, where are we going to go next? So he says, ah, maybe we've done our demographic studies up there in Bithynia. See, that is uncharted territory where nobody's ever been before. Wow, there's lots of people we could reach up there. So that would be cool. So they start thinking about going up to Bithynia. But look at verse 7. After they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So now the Holy Spirit stops them dead in their tracks and says, no, don't go there. Now, that's when it really gets frustrating, everybody. God says, don't go to the left, and then God says, don't go to the right. And you're going, now what, God? So, you see what God did? God God kept them from the left, he kept them from the right, and he funneled them to this one particular city called Troas. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. Church family, do you know why they came to Troas? Because it wasn't Paul's idea, he was guided there because he listened. 
He was literally guided to Troas by the will of God. This is my favorite thing. It wasn't his idea, wasn't a great plan. He just listened and responded, and God brought him to Troas. And you know what happened at Troas? At Troas, a a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And what I'd like to point out is, they went to Macedonia and began all those churches that you've heard of. Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and Berea and all these churches in Macedonia and in Greece. But listen, they would have never ended up there if they would have done what they thought at first. If they would have never listened back here to, if they would have never abided by or responded to the will of God in their life, they would have never ended up at Troas and they would have never ended up having the direction of God to go to Macedonia. Isn't that crazy? Think about it tonight. Where is God directing me in my life? And am I willing to be so sensitive to God that I can just in a moment's notice, just like Paul, Paul didn't orchestrate any of this. Paul didn't do, this was him responding. And and what that did in Paul's life, as we see at the end of his life, is it gave him great confidence about where he was. He could literally say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, you know why I'm where I'm at? You know what's going on in my life? The will of God. I'm an apostle. I'm here. I'm even in this prison, in this Mamertine maximum security prison. You know why? The will of God. Wasn't my idea. Wasn't my plan. I, can, I have great confidence because I have responded to everything that I know. He could have confidence in the will of God. He could have confidence that he's in God's hands. He could have that kind of Romans 8.28 kind of confidence. You know the Romans 8.28, don't you? And what happens? All things do what? Work together for good for those who love God and are what? Called according to his purpose. Paul can say, listen, I'm here, Timothy. I'm I'm in God's will. It gives me great confidence. I can know. I can rest. I I don't have to worry about it. And, And the reason I share that with you tonight, everybody, is because that is as for him to know that he's in the will of God. For him to know beyond a doubt that he's responded. For him to know beyond a doubt that, listen, the Holy Spirit has been the one to direct him in his life. That is nowhere more important than what he is right now. Here he is in the final days of his life. He is in prison. He's not only in prison, he's in the maximum security prison of Rome. Not only is he in the maximum security prison, he is sitting on death row awaiting execution. Let me ask you something tonight. Has there ever been a time where you wondered what in the world is happening in your life? Can you imagine tonight with me that maybe Paul has some questions in his life? Can you imagine tonight with me that maybe Paul had some doubts, he had some fears? Can you imagine tonight that maybe sitting in maximum security prison, awaiting execution, is it possible that Paul might have once or twice said to himself, now did I miss anything? You ever wondered that when you've been in a spot? When you've been in a difficult spot or when you've been in somewhere that you didn't want to be and maybe the things were not going as you planned in your life? Has that ever happened to you? Have have things ever not gone as planned in your life? And when things are not going as planned and this is not what I imagined at all, this is not what I dreamed for myself, this is not exactly the poster I had when I was growing up of how I'd end up. 
Have you ever asked questions in those moments? God, did I miss your will? Lord, did I do something wrong to end up here? (laughs) Did I miss something? But you know, tonight for Paul, in this moment, he didn't have to struggle. All of that, all of those fears. And by the way, everybody, it, 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 is, it is human you know, to have emotions. And you do know that Jesus doesn't necessarily take away our emotions when you get sanctified, right? You can sanctify our emotions, we still have emotions. We still have questions sometimes. So for Paul, he's there in his prison, and yet all of the questions that he might have had, all of the doubts, all of the, I love this, all of the doubts were washed over by this one overriding truth that, that had permeated and ruled his life over these years, the will of God. I've responded to Jesus. Do, do I understand it? No. Do, would I have chosen this? No. Do I know what's going to happen next? No. But I know beyond a doubt that with all my heart I have responded to him and the will of God has been at work in my life. And he can have peace in that even here in the maximum security prison awaiting execution. Can I ask you something tonight? What's your struggle? What do you struggle over tonight? When you and I get honest, you know, we're, we're in church. Sometimes in church, we don't, we're not always honest in church, you know? You know what I mean? We all say nice church things to each other when we're here together in church. We all say, how you doing? Fine. How's it going? Great. Anybody got any questions tonight that you're having in your life? Anybody have any struggles? Anybody having any of those moments where you say, why am I here? Why am I at this spot in life, God? What did I do? What's going to happen? I have no idea what's going on. Lord, did I miss something? Where is, where is this leading to? And tonight, I invite us to the same place that the Apostle Paul was. If I have questions tonight, wouldn't it be something to be able to say, Jesus, I have questions, but listen, tonight in the middle of this, where I am, Lord, I give myself to you 100%, and Jesus, no matter what, I am going to respond to you with all my heart. I won't go to the left, and I won't go to the right. Jesus, whatever you have for me, and and whether or not tonight you and I have responded up to this point, whether or not we have been completely obedient up to this point, I say to you tonight, church family, that we have a gracious God. Amen? We have a God of grace, and tonight he is giving us another opportunity to be on the path and to, with all our hearts tonight, be able to say, to lay our head on a pillow tonight and say, Lord, I have no clue what's happening, but I can say this, I'm totally surrendered to you. That's where Paul was. By the will of God, he could say to Timothy on his deathbed sentence, I am by the will of God. The second phrase he says there to describe where he is in verse 1 is not only by the will of God, he says, also, Timothy, I am where I am according to the promise of life which is in Jesus Christ. According to the promise of life which is in Jesus Christ. That's, That's a pretty complex phrase, and it's kind of a lot for me, so I try to look at it carefully, and what stands out is the word in there, promise. Promise. I actually took time to look that word up in the Greek and look at all. It's used a lot of times in the New Testament. 
That word promise, you probably think and think of some of the instances of it. A lot of times the word promise is used to describe the promise that God made with Abraham. You know, God made a covenant with Abraham and a promise that I'll be your God and you'll be my people. He made a covenant promise. A second way that word is used in the New Testament is the promise of the Holy Spirit. That God, Jesus said, hey guys, you know, stay at Terry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send to you in my name. Promise of the Holy Spirit. A third way that word promise is used in the New Testament is this eternal life, this eternal inheritance that we're going to get someday. See, see, we, we are going to receive an eternal inheritance in Him. So all these ways the word promise is used. It's used to describe the covenant God makes with Abraham. It's used to describe the Holy Spirit that God is going to give us. It's used to describe the eternal uh, gifts and the eternal riches of, of heaven that we're going to receive. And when He put it all together... I try to put stuff together and understand what's, what's the drift of this idea of promise. When Paul says, here I am, maximum security prison, waiting on death row. Timothy, I am where I am, according to the promise of life, which is in Jesus Christ. The big idea is this, everybody. Do you know tonight that our God is a God of promise? Do you know tonight that what God says is true? Do you know tonight, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God can be trusted? In our lives. He, he, he does not sleep, nor does he slumber. God never fails. Amen? And God can be trusted. And listen tonight. What God says in his word can be trusted tonight, right? God is a God of promise. He has always, he does always, and he will always keep his word. God's trustworthy tonight, isn't he? We can really trust him with our lives. So a second half of that is this promise idea is, is not only God a God of promise, but guess what tonight? God has a really big plan, and it includes you and me. And God is tonight, whether we can see it or not, God, you know tonight God is working out his plan in our lives? He really is. You say, well, it sure doesn't seem like it to me, but he is. You ever gone to a parade in person? Anybody ever been to a parade in person? When I was in college, Two friends and I drove out to Pasadena, California to see the Rose Bowl Parade in person. Worst thing I ever did. (laughs) You stay up all night to get a spot on the street to be able to be up close to see it. People are driving up and down the street, partying all night long. They're just kind of standing there reserving your spot on Pasadena Avenue on Colorado Boulevard to try to save your spot to see the Rose. This is going to be great. The Rose Bowl Parade. This is going to be wonderful. I've never been so disappointed in my whole life. Because when you're watching the Rose Bowl Parade on Colorado Boulevard live, you know how much of it you can see at one time? About this much. As you're squeezed in between the people on either side of you. I said, from now on, I'm staying home and watching it on TV. Because on TV, you get to see the blimp view, Right? from overhead, and you get to see the whole thing at once. I mean, when you're watching it in these little 18-inch window, all you can see is what's in front of you. And once it's passed, it's gone. You're never going to see it again. And you have no idea what's coming, and you have no idea where it's going. That's kind of how we are tonight, right? It's kind of how we are. And we're saying, God, I don't see it, Lord. I don't see any plan. I see 18 inches in front of me here, and that's gone, and I have no idea what's coming. But can I tell you tonight, everybody, God has the overhead view of your life. And he has a plan tonight, and he has a good plan for you because he's a good God, and he loves you tonight, 
And, and when Paul uses these, this wording about the promise, he says, according to the promise of life, that word according to in the original language is like, I don't know how else to describe it except to say it's contract language. Do you know tonight God has covenanted with you? He is, you're his, he has contra- through his blood, he has contracted with you that you're his. And he never fails on that deal. I love the way Paul puts it, kind of similar idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says this. He says, now he who, 2 Corinthians 1.21, he who establishes us with you in Christ has an, and has anointed us as God, and he has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Listen tonight, everybody. God has a long-term commitment with you tonight. He has a long-term commitment. You're not just a temporary project for God. He's not just here to get you through today and tomorrow. Listen, God has a long-term interest and investment in your life. He has an eternal interest and investment in your life. And guess what tonight? You're his. And he's not giving up on you. And you tonight, the message of this overall is that absolutely you can trust him. He has a big plan. And Paul could say, listen, God has a big plan. And and Timothy, my life as I sit here on death row, I can say to you, it's not only by the will of God. It is according to this promise, this promise of life in Jesus Christ. I am his. He has a big plan in my life and I am secure in him. Do you know how important that would have been for him in this moment? <laughs> Again, I say to you tonight, don't, don't idealize what was happening in the New Testament. It's awful easy for me 2,000 years later to read the New Testament and kind of idealize it, kind of romanticize it. Yeah, he was in prison. Oh, yeah, whatever. Isn't that a romantic idea? You ever been in prison? (laughs) Not to mention a first century Roman prison. You know, a lot of times in church, a lot of us younger people wouldn't know what this is, but a lot of us older folks grew up in church and we saw Bible stories on flannel graph. You may know what flannel graph is. Flannel graph stories look so nice and neat, you know. Everything's so nice and clean and neat. This is ugly, everybody. This is hard. It's one thing to be bold in your testimony for Jesus. It's another thing to hold to that when you're on death row. He's on death row. He knows in a matter of days, in a matter of weeks or months, he's going to have his head decapitated. And yet he can say in this moment, I'm his. Timothy, I have staked my whole life on who he is. His promise is true. He's reliable. He really does hold today and tomorrow. Tomorrow's in his hands, right? And today's in his hands, and my life is in his hands. And listen, Timothy, I have bet the farm. I have staked everything that I am on him, and he's true, and he's never going to fail me, Timothy. And because of that, I can have no fear. I can sit here in this death sentence row, and I don't have to be afraid anymore because my life's in his hands. I love the words of that old hymn. Now I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me. You know the rest? Not, say it with me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. And that's where he was tonight. Can I ask you tonight, in your life, 
What's your worst fear? Think about it for a moment. What's your worst fear? Wouldn't it be something tonight, whatever your worst fear is, to be able to say, Jesus, I am absolutely placing my life in your hands and I'm not afraid anymore because you're in control of it all. I'm staking my life in you. Now think about it with me tonight. Why I am where I am, by the will of God, I'm absolutely respond. I have, I am, and I will absolutely respond to Jesus with yes in everything. I am where I am because of His will. Secondly, I'm staking my life on the promise of life, which is in Jesus Christ. Listen, Timothy, I don't need to be afraid anymore because He is sure and He's true and He's trustworthy and He has a plan and He is so trustworthy tonight. My life is in His hands. Do you know, everybody, can you see in Paul, in his life and in his letter, the confidence and the joy that comes out of that? And because of the confidence and joy that Paul has, guess what? He wrote this letter to encourage Timothy out of where he was. Now, does that seem backwards to anybody tonight? Does this seem backwards at all? Does it seem to anybody tonight that Timothy should be the one writing the letter to Paul to encourage Paul? Does that make sense? I mean, if you're on death row and you're going to have your head cut off in a few days, you probably need encouragement, right? So, you know, Paul should be getting lots of mail. Timothy, Titus, all these guys ought to be writing lots of letters to Paul, care packages. I don't know what you would send, chocolate, whatever. So care packages, you know, Paul, hey, we're praying with you. It's going to be all right. God's in charge. Hey, don't be discouraged. But isn't it interesting that out of this circumstance, it's not Timothy doing the encouraging. Here's Paul doing the encouraging. That's amazing. But isn't that how it always is with us? When I'm confident in God's will in my life, when I have hope in God's will and and I can be confident in who I am in Christ, isn't it true that those kind of people are always encouraging? You ever been to a hospital when somebody, like somebody who's a real saint is sick and, you know, they, they love Jesus with all their hearts and trust their life in his hands and they're so surrendered to him and they're sick in a hospital and you go visit them to encourage them and you come away encouraged, right? Ever had that? Like, how did that happen? I'm here to encourage you. What's the deal here? And isn't it true tonight? The opposite is true. When, when, I'm, when, when I'm fearful, when I have doubts in my life, do I encourage anybody? No, I discourage people. But here's Paul tonight, this encouragement flowing out of his life. And how Timothy need that, needed that. I mean, Timothy needed that encouragement, but I consider where it's coming from. And I say this all to say this tonight as, as grace comes. The most significant thing about that, everybody, is this could happen where Paul was. I mean, it's one thing for us in in a camp meeting tonight on this beautiful evening and in this beautiful setting, in this comfortable setting. You say, well, the seats aren't that comfortable, but that's okay. Anyway, it's a beautiful, comfortable setting, and here we are, and we have everything we need in our lives, and we're all healthy, and everything's going great, and we're at camp meeting, and that's great. It's a great thing to testify about. Do you believe Jesus is real tonight, by the way? Do you believe in the will of God? Do you believe that God has a plan for our lives? Do you believe that Jesus really can work in our lives? Do you believe that in Jesus there really is victory in spiritual life? Do you really believe that in this world we can thrive, that we can have abundant life, that we can have joy inexpressible and full of glory? All that stuff the Bible talks about. Do you believe that tonight? 
But it's one thing to say that here. I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, if that really works, it, it works in a Mamertine prison. <laughs> and the astounding thing about that tonight is that if it could work for this man, I mean, he's just a guy like us, you know? You know, he had personality quirks. I mean, he, he was a strange guy, you know? This is not some superhero, Apostle Paul. He's just a regular guy, has little spats with people, had, had a strong, you know, had overbearing personality, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he, he was not perfect. He would say that. But he was pressing on, right, into Jesus. And this guy who was not perfect and did not have it all down in his life, who said himself, I am still pressing on, I'm still learning, I'm still... This guy, this regular guy just like you and me, he could trust in Jesus and know the victory of Jesus and the peace of God and the reality of Jesus there. And tonight that really puts me on the spot. Because if that could work for him there, then what's my excuse? Because I say to you tonight, everybody, if that worked for him there, then it has to work for us here. And it has to work for you and I when we go back next Monday. And it does. I told you a little bit about the, uh, the Mamertine prison. I, I didn't tell you about its design. I, I'd like to share with you a little about, about the design of the Mamertine prison. So if I, I, I desperately want to go visit it. In order to devise this secure prison, what the Romans did is they found a, a, a formerly used uh, cistern. You know what a cistern is? It's a you know, big hole in the ground that, that holds water. And uh, this location was no longer being used as a cistern. It was dry. But you know how cisterns are. If you used to hold water, it's probably still damp. And, and they built the prison over the top of the cistern. So the prison basically consisted of two levels. You had the, the ground level and then the underground level. The lower chamber. And the only way into the lower chamber, this lower chamber, was they created a hole in the ceiling of the lower chamber or in the, in other words, in the floor of, of the upper level. And they created this about a manhole size hole. And, and the prisoners would have been lowered down into, into the chamber, into the pit, if you will, by a rope. And then, of course, the rope was pulled up, so you, you can't get out. And so in that way, it was, that's why it was maximum security. There was no way in or out of that lower chamber except by a rope that somebody, a guard, would have lowered down to you. And they lowered these guys, Paul and all these threatening criminals, whatever, they lowered these guys down into the lower chamber. And, and that, can I say to you tonight, everybody, that when Paul composed this letter, that's where he was. He lived out the rest of his days in the lower chamber of the Mamertine prison. Can you imagine what it was like down there? Dark. Damp. Cold. Rodents. No wonder he says what he says in chapter 4, where he says in chapter 4, verse 13, bring the cloak, bring my coat, please. No wonder he says in chapter 4, verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. It's getting cold down here. 
And I say this to you tonight. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if Jesus could be real to Paul in that pit, and Paul could have, we talked last night about keep the fire. If Jesus could keep the fire in Paul's heart and in his life down there, can he do it with us tonight, where we are? And to think that out of that pit, out of that hole, out of that place in his life that he would have chosen me, Jesus could not only be real, Jesus could encourage the people in his life out of that pit. And I ask you this tonight. Um, where's the pit in your life? What is it in your life that's the place of discouragement? Where in your life do you wonder? Where in your life do you say, what in the world is happening, God? Where in your life tonight is the place you feel like, man, I, I have no hope. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. I don't, I don't get what's happening. But tonight, I say to you, the same Jesus who is real there in that pit can be real in ours tonight. Is anybody here tonight I'd like to come to him and say, Jesus, I want to absolutely say yes to you and respond where I am. And I want to absolutely place my life in your hands right where I am. Lord, you don't have to get me out of this. He didn't for Paul. You don't have to rescue me from this pit. You don't have to rescue me from this situation. You don't have to rescue me from, from where I don't want to be. You don't have to rescue me. But Jesus, I'm asking you tonight to help me know you, to keep the fire, to Jesus have an on-fire relationship with you, an absolute trust, a surrender to your will. My life is in your hands right where I am tonight. And oh God, could you please be so real to me here and so fill my life here that out of this place you can encourage somebody else. How about it tonight? We're going to have some altar time. If that's you tonight, I so want to be into the will of God. I so want to place my life in your hands right where I am. I promise you tonight, Jesus will use you. He'll be real to you. He'll keep the fire. He'll encourage somebody else. And if that's you tonight, you want to come and pray while grace leads us you're welcome this altar is open if you can't kneel and you can maybe you want to come and sit on the front row or maybe you want to raise your hand where you are tonight or maybe you want to stand in place where you are but somehow to say to him tonight lord jesus take me wherever you want to place me wherever you need me the lord the will of god in my life the will of god and standing in the promise of who you are my life is in your hands you want to seek him tonight in that? Would you join us in praying? Let's, let's respond to him together tonight.